0: Welcome to Industry Leader's Journey, where we explore the lives and careers of conscious leaders who are making a positive impact on this world while they transform the supply chain and procurement business. My name is Su Shim. Today, we invited Elizabeth Vasquez, the founder and CEO of WeConnect International, to learn about her purpose-driven journey. WeConnect is a member-led, nonprofit, that brings large corporate and government buyers together with qualified woman-owned suppliers. It works with over 175 multinational buying organizations with $3 trillion in annual purchasing power combined. We Connect International provides women business enterprise certification in over 50 countries that represent 70% of the world's population. Elizabeth is one of the most inspiring leaders I admire, and I had such a great time to get to know her more deeply. Let's begin this journey. All
1: right, hi Elizabeth. So nice to see you again. How are you today? I'm thrilled to be with you. It's a great day to be talking about inclusion. All right. So
0: I'm so excited about this talk because I've known you for a few years already. And then, of course, I've been admiring you for all the work you've done. But this time I get to actually know you as a person and then I get to ask some questions around your like background, personal story. Like, how did you become who you are? You know? <laughs> Let's start with uh, your early life, because I was really curious. I think you were born in Mexico. So are you Mexican? And then how did you get uh, get into uh, USA and your journey, the early childhood journey? So tell me a little (laughs) bit about it.
1: So it started with uh, quite an adventure. My mom was American. My father was Mexican. They fell in love moved to Mexico, had me, had my sister, and it seemed to everyone that, you know, things were great. But unfortunately, there was a lot of violence in the background. And so my mom made the decision when I was three to leave the country with us and move back to the United States. Mm -hmm. And we lived with her mother and yeah, it was uh, pretty intense. But that's why I was raised in the States, but am very proud to be Mexican also. Right. Do you still, I guess, speak Spanish a little bit? <laughs> I have studied Spanish my entire life. Literally, going to Mexico to live for entire summers for Spanish immersion, uh-huh. and to this day, I am still not able to feel comfortable speaking Spanish fluently, which is, you know, I say muy triste, very sad. But um, I have tried. <laughs> All right. Okay. Don't give up. It's <laughs> <is> a mental <laughs> block. Just go. You know. No, you don't have to be perfect. So do you have like siblings? And- I do. I have a sister who lives in Arizona. is just amazing. We raised each other because my mom was, you know, single mom, not a lot of resources, and had to work and put herself through school and recover from being an addict. And so there were a lot of things that she had to deal with, and it gave it gave me and my sister a lot of time to spend together and to. To grow up with a lot of adventures yeah well i wonder whether that has anything to do with your
0: passion now you know your mission so one major passion about these women's issues and was there any special experiences that sparked that passion
1: So it's interesting that you asked me to go all the way back to you know the beginning because i really do feel like if i'm honest and i think hard about why i do what i do it really has its roots in watching what my mother went through because I, I remember those things. Mm-hmm. And um, my mom, in order to get out of the country, my father was a very successful attorney and very, you know, powerful. And here's this mom with no money and two kids. She waited until he went to work one day and had what was probably Mexico's first yard sale mm-hmm. <laughs> to earn enough money to be able to buy some train tickets to get Mm -hmm. out of the country that night. And so I think deep down, seeing my mom and understanding later that because she was able to sell things, Mm -hmm. earn money, she was able to get herself and her children out of a bad situation and into an entirely new life. And so that, I think, is what drives me to want to get as much money into the hands of women as fast as possible, because I am convinced that they will make the world a better place for everyone because of the way they spend their money. Oh, my
0: God. Well, that seriously, I didn't expect it. This story is so touching and so real, um, but it's like a movie. Oh, my gosh. Okay, (laughs) great. Good, uh, Good to understand the route to where you come from. All right, then. Now, how did you start WeConnect International?
1: I was very interested in, I've always been interested in the role of women in communities and the economy and I studied development economics. So I thought economics was the you know, way to, to understand things. But then the first job out of college, I was responsible for helping to organize the first OECD conference on women's entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And I was introduced to all these amazing women business owners from around the world and realized they weren't waiting around for me. They were out there just innovating and delivering solutions i thought i want to work with them they are very inspiring and so i spent you know many years right out of college asking women business owners around the world what is it you need most what do you want most because at the time everything was about microfinance mm-hmm. and yes finance is absolutely critical to help start and grow businesses but when you ask the women Doesn't matter country, sector, size of business, what do you want or need most? What they want is to sell their stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's the definition of an entrepreneur. That's why they wake up in the morning, right? Out of economic necessity or out of passion or both. They want to they sell products and services, but there was almost nothing out there that offered that. And so I started promoting our U.S. partner, Women's Business Enterprise National Council, WeBank. They're an amazing nonprofit in the U.S., and they have a model. It's a nonprofit created by really big buyers that have a commitment to buy from women-owned businesses in the United States. But they got together and they said, well, if it's good business to buy from women here in the U.S., why wouldn't we buy from women everywhere? And I was at the right place at the right time asking them, when are you going to go global? And that's really how it started. Oh, my God. It's like I'm all, all after one after another. So next question. Why we connect? What does that name mean? How do you come up with the name? So in the very beginning, when we first launched our pilot in the UK, there was a person, a friend by the name of Sue Lawton, who basically surveyed the community and said what, you know, what would be a good name to describe our goal to bring these very big buyers together with these women owned businesses of all sizes And it was, I think at first, Women's Enterprise Connect, right? Connecting women's enterprises Mm. and just got shortened to We Connect. And then, of course, as we moved from a pilot phase into Canada and then India and China, it became clear that we needed to create one entity called We Connect International that had one database, one membership, one uh, standard for certifying women-owned businesses, and and that's really where we started. Oh, so actually, it was used to be E4 Enterprise We Connect, and then became We
0: Connect. Oh, so smart. <laughs> <laughs> Great, good. All right, I love connecting. So uh, <laughs> good. And let me ask you about your mission. You mentioned already, I love that it's so tangible. You actually say helping drive money into the hands of women business owners by enabling them to compete in the global marketplace. So... What are the ways in which we connect internationally? is really furthering this change?
1: Yeah, and you are an ultimate connector. Literally, I think it's in your DNA. And so that's why I'm so excited to have this conversation with you in particular, because you get it more than most humans. And so um, for us, it was really important that we started with demand. Because in the women's economic empowerment space, historically, we start on the supply side, right? What is it the women want and need? And there's good reasons for that. But I think when we talk about access to markets, supply chains, procurement, you have to start with demand. You have to try to understand how does power flow, and you track that by understanding how money flows how money is spent and and a lot of money is spent through procurement and mm-hmm. so then you look at well who are the biggest players in in the procurement space and then you have to look at these corporations and they happen to have been our founders mm-hmm. uh, of this nonprofit so if you start with demand and you try to understand what it what products and services what problems do they need solved, then you have a recipe for success because you can go to market looking for women suppliers through partnerships around the world to identify growth-oriented women-owned businesses that want to develop their capacity to be able to sell to these really large buyers. So we work on the supply side and demand side to identify buyers and sellers, and then we develop the capacity of both of them to be able to do business together. And then we can verify, we can certify that if the CEO of SAP stands up and says, we buy from women, that's actually a true statement because we've certified that that is a woman-owned business. And so that's really where the magic happens is we, after all that work, we bring them together. And then we use the SAP Ariba platform called We Community to make that process a lot easier. That's awesome. So
0: I want to ask you a little bit about the certification process. But before I get there, so you mentioned really helping buyers to even build the capacity of the maybe woman-owned business suppliers. So the, I think that is so important. You know, understanding the demand part and then also helping to match them up. You gotta find the right capacity, right amount. And it's so hard for each company to do it on their own. So you're like an intermediary that is facilitating that, right? I want to now ask about the certification actually process, because it's such an important topic for buyers. And then especially we want to work with small businesses and good businesses. But how do we know? And they are really who they are, you know. So certification matters. And then but maybe it's important for us to also trust that certification like body, like we connect, which is doing it. So the process matters. So explain to me what's the process like and then like how do you do it? Because it's just paper certification or do you actually have them go through the exam? Or <laughs> What's the process look like? Who does it?
1: How can we audit it? You know, how do we trust that certification? So we have a good fortune because of our partnership with the Women's Business Enterprise National Counselor, WeBank, to have a very rigorous time-tested verification process so that when the CEO of a company, like I said, maybe it's SAP, stands up and says, we buy from women, they know it's true. And that's because we have standards. And we define a woman-owned business as a business that is at least 51% owned, managed, and controlled by one or more women. The reason those definitions are really important is because you can have the head of a company be a woman, but if, if all the men around her are able to fire her, she's not actually controlling the company, the the strategy or the assets, or you can have men in charge and hire a bunch of women. But that doesn't mean we're really doing women's economic empowerment if the women aren't deciding, making decisions about the management of the company or earning the majority of the the income. So that's why we do all of that. They have to prove that it's at least 51% owned, managed, and controlled. Then a woman-owned business is able to register on our SAP Ariba platform called We Community for free. When they register, Register for free. They tell us about their business, what types of products, services, location, verify that they meet our certification standards. And then we invite those companies, they're all now based in over 135 countries, but we have 50 countries where they can apply for a certification. And that means they're going to give us some additional information about the ownership management and control structure of their company and the level of independence. And then they submit documents, local documents in local language, of course. And we have local hired assessors who understand those local legal documents and can review that against our standards to prove that women, in fact, are owning and controlling and managing those companies. Once they get through that process, we then issue a certificate and they can print that certificate that has a certificate number. And we are just launching um, this month, a three-year certification. And so they will have that for a three year period unless something materially changes about their company, in which case they're obligated to notify us that there's a material change. But otherwise, they will have a three year certificate that can then be renewed at the end of the three years. Mm, perfect. So actually um we should look into that
0: how you know you mentioned SAP, the we community platform. Yes, really? The we
1: community platform. Yeah.
0: So, we probably need to connect this to a SAP Ariba network where actually buyers can search and then, or suppliers can load it up their own certification in a bigger network so that uh, people can actually find it even easily. I think the U Bank is part of it already. So, that's definitely an opportunity. And uh, that's good. I love the idea that you, you're not limiting to just ownership check. It's ownership and also the control and management, all that three aspects. So that it's really woman run business, you know. And I think that is something very important for a lot of buyers. Don't just check the box and check that ownership, but actually understand that the suppliers you're working with are the really creating the opportunity for women, not only for the owner, but also maybe the more employees and then those ripple impact.
1: It is, And, and we've surveyed the women business owners, we do every year. Statistically, women simply hire more women they just do. They're very inclusive in their business models. They tend to be very strong on all the ESG metrics, whether it's, you know, good governance or and transparency, accountability, or it's on sustainability. They all tend to build businesses that do no harm and if anything support the planet, and then they tend to be very people-centric. They tend to be usually service-based and looking at, you know, identifying and solving a community problem in society. And so there are multiple effects because of the way women start and grow their businesses, how they employ people, and also how they in turn use their revenue. They tend to use the majority of it on their families and on their communities. So they reinvested in everyone around them. Right. That's it. That's
0: it. And then maybe in that certification process, just my suggestion, maybe in the future, maybe you should include that ESG part that you talked about, because that is a definitely hot topic now. Everybody wants to know how that, especially not the big supplier, because they are doing it already anyway for their own company reporting purpose, but the smaller companies, they need to do also ESG qualified or, you know, so maybe you guys can just add it up.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think that's where we could have a partnership with you and other leaders in the sustainability space because we try to stay focused, right? We don't want to be all things to all people, but it is absolutely true. The more we can help women business owners become verified through us or other partners for the things that corporations increasingly are being held accountable for along their value chain that can't just say, well, that's my supplier to my supplier to my supplier. They're actually being held accountable for how those products and services reach them. And so the more we can help the women understand the things they do naturally are actually business benefits they add value to the entire value chain then yeah i think they'll be better at selling and packaging and selling those benefits it's another differentiator yes one business greener or something (laughs) yes yes i love it
0: Right. OK, so you mentioned that it's very interesting. You have to deal with all these different languages, of course, and the local document. But you are an international organization, you are constantly dealing with this array of governments and cultures that are at different stages of progress when it comes to women. Such a challenge. So what are some key differences you see around the globe?
1: Well, it's interesting, because honestly, I thought some markets would be relatively easy and other markets would be relatively hard. And the world has proven me wrong on multiple occasions. <laughs> when, for example, we went into Europe, we thought this would be pretty easy, right? I mean, everyone talks about Europe, about it being sort of a bastion of equality and inclusion. and But what we found with supply chains is that in the world, our, our statistic is that even though women make or influence the majority of purchasing decisions they're half the population they own about a third of the world's private businesses they represent less than one percent of the spend on products and services by large corporations or by governments and so we thought well at least in europe it's going to be close to equal right i mean it's got to be no they are still at the 1% throughout Europe. And we work many, many countries throughout Europe. And we find that they have a history of, you know, war that is, you know, has been devastating. And so they're very careful about mm-hmm. putting people in groups and asking people about their ethnicity or their gender or their LGBTQ plus status. So I understand why they're very careful, but frankly, a lot of them are using it as an excuse to not ask questions about how money Mm -hmm. is being spent. And they use that to say, we're not, you know, we can't be proactive and inclusive in our sourcing practices. And the laws actually don't say that, but it is one of the barriers. And it's it's something that just surprises me to this day. There's progress being made 100%. There's a lot of progress that we're seeing, but it is still very challenging. In a region that I thought would be extremely difficult, South Asia, for example, we're growing like crazy in india bangladesh pakistan sri lanka the maldives I mean, there is just a total embrace of making sure that everyone has an equal opportunity to contribute their solutions and to benefit from more inclusive value chains. And that's public sector, private sector, civil society. And I just wasn't expecting that. So there are lots of surprises. And we just kind of try to be honest about them as they happen and come up with localized solutions.
0: Right. Wow, the number is striking. One percent for Europe. I mean, I did hear from some of our CPOs in our think tank. Definitely when it comes to ESG, environmental thing is ahead in Europe. So all these European governments and companies started that carbon topic earlier than U.S. side. But the supply diversity is kind of opposite. So in the U.S., we're leading that supply diversity topic, maybe because of our regulation, you know, maybe that's why. So, yeah, that's great. There is a huge opportunity there in Europe.
1: Yes. <laughs> and it like you said, it does take public-private partnerships. You do have to have inclusive governments with inclusive economic strategies that are purposeful and not just, well, we'll deal with being inclusive once we have all these other urgent economic issues dealt with. It's like, no, you need to be inclusive to be able to have inclusive mm-hmm growth that is sustainable and that benefits all of your people it's key to the it's fundamental to the strategy and it shouldn't be an afterthought and then of course government needs to do a better job of working with the private sector that has a lot of the best practices to share so that they're helping each other with civil society to get create opportunities for everyone
0: Okay. So then, I mean, it's a little bit of a cultural thing and history mindset. So that those are the obstacles. Is there any other obstacle that you think we can handle it
1: as a corporate or as a we connect international? I mean, some of this, because it's so early days, which is sad, but true, is just winning hearts and minds. It's It's building awareness. It's doing what you're doing right now. And what you do so well through the think tanks is to have Very hard but important conversations. And sometimes it's around very simple questions. The simple question of how do we spend our money? And does any of it go to the communities that we say we care about, that buy our stuff, that serve as our employees, that serve as our leadership? Are we engaging them in a more strategic way? And do we have access to all of them? Or Mm -hmm. do we keep buying from the same people and the same companies year over year?
0: Right. Yeah, I call it brave space, the think tank where we should be brave—not <laughs> not only safe to talk about things internally, but we need to challenge a little bit. Yeah. So give me then some examples so that uh, maybe to inspire our you know listeners that oh maybe it's realistic, maybe it's relevant, maybe I can do this. You know. So what are some successful programs that your bio members have implemented?
1: And really, there are there are many, but one that is very recent that I just learned about was what the work that we're doing with. BASF. They're a multinational chemical company, and we started working with them on a pilot in 2021 in Brazil. And at the time, their spend with women-owned businesses, their baseline was around, well, it was less than a million. Mm-hmm. And so they started using We Community and they started posting RFPs there for women owned businesses to compete. Obviously, none of our members give contracts to companies because they're women owned, but the women owned aren't knocking on their doors. And so it didn't occur to most of the women business owners in Brazil to knock on the door of BASF to try to sell to them products and services. And so they were very proactive in engaging with us to work with the women business owner community. And they, engaged their internal teams, they promoted supplier diversity inclusion with their external communities, including their prime suppliers. They had an event with like 400 local stakeholders. And within a year, by the time they closed their books in 2022, they were spending over nine and a half million dollars with women-owned businesses just in Brazil. And this is, you know, less than a year going from less than a million to over nine million is just an example of what could be done if people just had consciousness, purpose, and then took action. And then we have sort of the other extreme where we have members that are founders of We Connect. They've been doing this for a while, but I remember when Walmart made a five-year commitment, a very public commitment to spend more money with women-owned businesses, and they set their goal of $20 billion in five years, and they knew it was gonna be almost you know, impossible to achieve because they had never done anything like that at that scale. But they got everyone from the CEO to the chief procurement officer, to the day-to-day buyers, to all of their networks in all these different countries, committed, focused, KPIs in place, they spent 20 billion dollars with women-owned businesses in five years and the key to that is they know how to do this so they can keep doing it and they can teach everyone else to do it which is what they do and so the, our community shares best practices um, it just shows what can be done when even one company takes ownership and leads in this space oh i love that that you guys actually share so walmart can share what they've done with other people Yes. I mean, it's amazing. In this particular space, the most fierce competitors in the marketplace come together, whether it's, you know, we're working with Marion and Hilton. We've done work with Pepsi and Coca-Cola. We've done work with IBM and Accenture. We now are working with Amazon and, Mm -hmm. you know, they're benefiting from what we've learned from the work in the retail space. And so this is a space where no one wants to be the only industry leader working on being inclusive it's in everyone's Mm -hmm. interest that we work together to find these suppliers and make sure everyone has access to those amazing suppliers that no one knew existed
0: so this example basf and Walmart, uh like definitely the what does good look like when it comes to DNI programs, especially woman suppliers. All right. So where do you think we can learn more about those? Like in your website, or do the members have to join your members? So explain a little bit to me
1: about buyer member program. How does that work? Yes, yeah, so we we're a membership organization. We're a 501c3 nonprofit, but we're also a membership organization, it's pretty unique. And our member buyers are on our board of directors, and we have local councils and advisory groups, and they sit on them, and they decide where are they spending their money, where are they going to be spending their money, and what solutions are they needing, and then what type of programming, what type of training, what type of outreach, what type of buyer-seller events, matchmaking events, meet-the-buyer events do we need to organize, whether it's by industry or by geography or size of business. There are a number of different factors, but we do those kinds of things with our member buyers all year round. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's wonderful. So IBM will host an event, and they'll bring in their prime suppliers, and we'll bring in the women business owners based on the stated needs. And then they'll get to know each other's challenges, opportunities, and they start to build relationships. Because at the end of the day, procurement people know this is about relationships. It's about building trust. You know, will I pay you? Will you deliver the products or services as described? And we're doing this not just corporations we're doing this for the world bank group they're moving you know millions of dollars into the hands Mm -hmm. of women-owned businesses competing for their business we're doing the same thing for the united nations and we're surveying all of their top suppliers how many of their top suppliers are focused on inclusive sourcing do they have ways to identify which of their suppliers are women-owned so the exciting part is when These organizations leverage not only their own purchasing power, but they go to market with their top suppliers and get them to start doing this Mm -hmm. and asking their suppliers how much of the the contract is going to diverse suppliers that they care about. Right, right, right. I'm curious, Then you did mention that, you know, the capacity building is a big part of
0: it because, you know, we have enough spending power so we can just focus on increasing that. But can you support that if we all decided that, OK, we're going to triple that target and then, then how can you find a woman? Like, can you go recruit them or are you like educating there's a woman on the street to become a businesswoman suddenly? <laughs> what do you do?
1: So we have lots of ways to do it. The first place to start is our member buyers go into We Community that SAP Ariba hosts. And they do a, a keyword search it's in 10 languages they can look for the product the service are they registered are they certified um, what size of business is this uh, their profiles and then they can invite them to compete for an opportunity. Our members also use the WE community to post RFX opportunities. So lots of RFPs get posted, goes out to the women business owners that are within their target supplier profiles. And then we also, whenever we have members that are looking for a particular product or service, we have a full-time person focused on connections. And So she'll take that information and use it almost like a shopping list. To go Mm -hmm. to a market and say, hey, Accenture is looking for a marketing firm in North Africa. Who do we know? And so Mm -hmm. we'll go to market and we'll source those suppliers uh, to join Mm -hmm. the network and then be introduced to these buyers. So there's lots of ways to do that.
0: Okay, okay. You're almost like a travel agency. Go out, find the stuff for me when I wanted to go travel, right? Yes,
1: got it. called travel agency, dating agency. I mean, that's right. not necessarily the best description, but right. at least people understand it's a right. way to, to connect, right, right, supply right. with demand. <laughs> okay,
0: so I wanted to actually ask about, you know, not everybody is going to be entrepreneur, obviously. Not everybody can, maybe or even want to own the business and or start the business but when it comes to women's economic power you know with the same uh, mission and purpose what do you think we need to do as women leaders in the corporate world to create more equity between men and women like me what can i do
1: (laughs) yeah you or i mean i'm just thinking immediately i'm thinking of our chair who's an executive vice president over at marriott she was responsible for not only supplier diversity inclusion but also sustainability but I think there's so much power with the way women engage with the world. We're very, and I'm generalizing, obviously, and it's not that men can't also do this, but I mean, we are just uniquely qualified because of the way we experience the world and impact the world to bring those things together, the people, planet, and purpose. You know, we're the weavers of the social fabric, and we do it in a way that is has sustainability in mind, right? The do no harm. And I think the more we're comfortable telling our stories and working with people like you that are so good at sharing those stories and finding people who can lead by example in how they live their life, but in the organizations that they lead and they run and recognize that none of us can do this alone. Like This is definitely, definitely a team effort. And we can't keep talking to ourselves or to each other just within. I can't keep talking to just other women's networks. They're very important and they're very very powerful, mm-hmm. but we have to also get very uncomfortable and put ourselves in uncomfortable situations to talk with people that don't necessarily agree with us and, you know, aren't necessarily against being inclusive, for example, but they don't really know what that means or how to do it. And mm-hmm. so I think that's the power of, of what you're doing and of telling stories is to give insights into things that people just hadn't thought about. Right. Yeah.
0: I'm really looking forward to leveraging our women's network within Industry Leaders Think Tank. And then also maybe tell the collective stories and then, you know, partner with you and do something, you know. So looking forward to that. And that said, I want to hear your dream. So if you have magic wand to create this ideal, perfect future, what would you change to make the most ideal world?
1: I would make it. First and foremost, everyone should have the opportunity to reach their full potential. I just happen to think entrepreneurship is one of the most powerful ways to realize that potential. So everyone has things that they've seen that they're passionate about and challenges that they want to or problems that they want to solve for. I want a world where everyone has an equal opportunity to actually implement solutions. And again, I just, I think that's why I'm such a big believer in entrepreneurship and the power of inclusive value chains or supply chains is because it's a way for people to make things better for everyone else. And so that's the world I want, where everyone has an equal opportunity to contribute and to benefit to the problems, to to bring solutions to the table. Good. So
0: then... Maybe we can do some specific initiative, we can create something across our industry think tank to improve that equity and an opportunity between men and women around the world using our collective spend power, because that's what we do, chief procurement officers. How can we be an extension of the work you do with we Connect International?
1: I think there's a huge opportunity because there are a lot of corporations we work with that should be members of the think tank because they're creative leaders who really care about the issues that the think tank is addressing. And I also feel like this is a huge opportunity for think tank members to increase their impact um, on the world by leveraging that purchasing power to engage underutilized suppliers that just don't know to knock on their door. We should work together to educate these suppliers about you know, who are the members of the think tank? What problems are they trying to solve? How do you register as a supplier to those companies? And then what's expected? So they develop their capacity to be competitive, what types of standards, whether it's ISO or health or safety standards, what are the things they need to do to invest in themselves so, that we're building a pipeline of quality suppliers that can really help the members of the think tank and of We Connect be even more successful in the future.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm looking forward to uh, creating some initiative that we can
0: really create some impact and then make some actions together. That said, what is one thing that you want CPOs or listeners to take away from this podcast today?
1: Step into your power. Leverage that power, become very, very comfortable with that power and know that you have an opportunity to change the world quite literally mm-hmm. we can change it tomorrow if we all decide that we are going to make sure that everyone all of these communities have an opportunity to be a part of our companies and of our organizations and to support our missions and that there are resources out there the think tanks we connect and others there are re- they don't have to start from scratch Um, There's best practices. There's wonderful community members happy to share their best practices. We have Mm -hmm. databases and tools. And so take advantage of it. Right. And help build it.
0: Yes. (laughs) Step into your power. All right. So before I ask you my final question,
1: anything else you want to add? Just that I, I'm i thrilled to be working with you on this. I feel like every day that we're not moving the needle and we're still stuck at 1%, it means that we're not taking full advantage of, of the opportunities that true collaboration and inclusion afford to us. And so I, I just hope that by working together, we can help everyone understand the urgency and the of the opportunity. We connect to collaborate. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. So how would you finish this sentence? I am
1: optimistic, dot, dot, dot. I am optimistic that by working together, we connect with, the, with you, SAP and the think tanks, that we will be able to move the needle from, ooh, 1%. <laughs> doubling it to at least 2% by 2025. That's, that's what I would like to see happen. So that's the urgency. And what's important about that isn't that we've moved from 1% to 2%. It's that we've learned how to move from 1% to 2%, which means we will then know how to go from 2 to 3, 3 to 4, 4 to 5, and far beyond that. And it's not taking from one group to give to another. We are talking about creating new value, new wealth, new business opportunities where everyone benefits. All right.
0: I love that. Okay, so Elizabeth, uh, I mean, I can talk to you much longer, but for this session, we'll end it here, but to be continued, for sure.
1: Thank you so much, I really enjoyed this. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Industry Leader's Journey. This series is produced by the Industry Value Chain Team at SAP, where we are committed to making the world run better and improving people's lives. For more information and to access all of our podcasts, find
0: us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Ariba.com.